Welcome to the Prairie Puck Podcast. I'm Coach Ryan D with Hot Garbage Sports, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Zach from the Nolan Hockey Podcast. Hello. And Jake from Peg City Hockey. Hello, hello, hello. So we're just a bunch of fans sitting here relishing in the fact that the Jets aren't playing any more meaningful games in the season while we watch two four seeds, a two seed, and a three seed battle for the Stanley what are the Cup. Odds? They can only hurt us if we let them, guys. <laughs> And what every Jets fan will know is why doesn't this happen to us when we go in as the three seed, four seed, seventh seed, or even the two seed? Because we're the Winnipeg Jets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> we can't have good things. Nope. Okay, so so instead of being salty, let's talk about the playoffs as they are today. Uh, Zach, let's start with you. So after game one... I, I follow a lot of nights. I follow a lot of Habs. I'm on all the fan forums for both. I do videos for both. So after game mm-hmm. one, I was seeing Knights fans just brashly and cocky and saying this is going to be a sweep and it's over. And it reminded me so much of myself, all of us when the Jets got to play the Habs as well as the Leafs. I don't know about you. I said won. six. I don't know what you guys. Okay, yeah. Leafs. Yeah, okay. So like, so, the thing so talk the... to me about talk to me about the Knights fans and the kick in the teeth they just got being yeah. introduced to Habs hockey. So with the Knights fans, it's very interesting because for one thing, the, a lot of them. Okay, so no offense, Knights fans. There's a there's like a minority group there that will just say anything. And that's for every fan base, but for the Knights fan base, it's a little bit more because they've had a team make it to the playoffs and go deep at least three out of four times. So like, there's that. But also too, it's worth noting that the, like they're fresh off beating the Avs, which were the the top seeded team in the entire like in the entire league, even though they tied them in points. So going from literally the top of the league to an 18th place team just on paper seems like it would be a 100 like a death sentence for the Montreal Canadiens, and Watching how the first game went, it seems like something that could have been easily repeated and easily replicated in how they could play down the line. It 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 scarily reminds me to how a lot of Winnipeg's fans felt after beating Nashville and then going and just cruising through game one against Vegas, being like, all right, cool, let's let's get the next one, and then maybe we'll split it on the road, and then maybe we'll come back home and win, and then we lost the next four. Because we just did not anticipate any type of back pretty much any battle I back think in the, the word series. you're looking for is we didn't expect to see one of the greatest goaltending performances of the playoff history in my oh my goodness <laughs> yeah and then this year Carey price is ooh, like i cannot he's so confident but also so calm in the net that it just feels like it's like it it's sheer osmosis it's just spreading to the entire canadians roster I've never seen a team so relaxed on a on a rush chance, on a two-on-one chance going the opposing way as the Montreal Canadiens. Because they know if Price gets there in time, he will stop it. The only goals that were scored in Game 2, for example, were weird. Like, how did that make it to the net goals? There was one that was a bad shot on the glove side, which we've seen a couple times, like what Logan Stanley did as well. And there was a shot that pretty much had to find, like, a mouse-sized hole to get through to make it to the back of the net. It's... Well, but- Let's talk, about price. Let's talk about price there for a second. So there's only two ways I've seen people score on price all playoffs. And those are cross ice passes that are very, very mm-hmm. difficult to stop. Those He's catching on. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I mean, geez, that save he made last night that changed the game. Second like, period save off pass? the pan. Oh, give me I, I thought it went in. I thought it went in. I, I legitimately, like on my reaction, I was just like, oh, okay. Like open yeah. net. Because that's how the first goals, like game so, one first game goals were scored. Yeah. So you don't even you don't even have a chance half the time on these cross ice passes with price and net, which is gross. And the other way is you got to make sure he doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. And it's really oh funny God. when I'm I'm watching the game. So kind of over to you, Jake. When I watched game one, I noticed that Vegas took basically took the middle of the ice and imposed their will, playing physical hockey and taking hits because Montreal is a very physical team. They took the hits, they skated through it, and they took the middle of the ice at will. They were unable to do that in game two because Montreal obviously adjusted to the tactics. But what I found funny is they score two goals with nasty screens in game two. They had one nasty screen in game one. Why do you think Vegas wasn't just stacking people in front of the net? 
I think Vegas underestimated their opponent for tonight, and I think I think for good reason because, like you said, Ryan, the Habs in Game One they did not look like that team we've seen from like the going going on from the whatever it was Game Four, whatever it was in the Leafs season, mm-hmm. the first round through all the four games against the Jets. That team was not the same team in Game One, and the Habs knew that just by the way they played. Like you said, the neutral zone was controlled by the Golden Knights from basically the eight minute mark of the first period and onwards until the end of the third period because the, when the Montreal Canadiens, I find when they hit a ton, even though they're great physically, when they focus their game to just hitting and kind of trying to play the body a lot, they don't play their game as complete. And that's what happened in Game 1. It's because them not allowing the Knights to you know, combat and hit them well, but also to allow the Knights to own the neutral zone for as much time as they did, contributed to the fact that a lot of their strategy in Game 1 was dump and chase. And as Jets fans, we know just how successful not... dump and chases in the playoffs and just in the regular season in the modern NHL. And it doesn't work. And when you do that and you go off for a line change and it's 90% of your play because you don't own the neutral zone, it's sloppy play, boring play, and the Knights thought that they had it. And when you talk about tonight's game, getting the first goal on the Montreal side, or last night's game, excuse me, getting the first goal for the Habs is a complete series-changing change, series uh, fact for the Habs now because now the Knights are like, damn, this team can come out and score. They know how to play with a lead. We've seen that all playoffs long. So for them to really be able to, you know, continuously show up, I think, and make this a good series, and for the Knights to have a real good chance to do this quickly, they need to respect the Habs and realize that the only way that they're going to win this is if they respect the opponent. I think it had to do with them not really, really, really just being, you know, unprepared for that type of Habs team after the way they showed up in Game 1. Well, this is such a unique team because the points both of you make, I've been saying this on, on my YouTube channel for some time now, and to the chagrin and annoyance of some Habs fans, They remind me of the early 2000s Devils, which is an insult to many fans because Carter said that a lot. It's considered a dead zone in hockey because really nobody liked it. But the point I keep trying to make to Montreal fans is one, there's not a lot of Devil fans in the world, and two, the Devil fans that did exist loved it because they won. So if I'm the if I'm the Habs, what's old is new because trends change. Now, all of a sudden, right. it seems to be that coaching has changed back into that trap-style hockey, and people hate that term, but that's what they're playing. It's a modified version, but it's a trap. Well, it's smart Am for I, undersized I, teams in, like, smaller areas that can't afford sure. the natural talent. Well, and once you get up, all it takes is one goal, and once you're up, you can absolutely put your team, the other right. team, to sleep. Yep. And did you guys get that? The entire Paul Byron goal is because of how they play defensively, because it was Vegas getting overconfident and trying to force something that wasn't working because of how well the Habs were playing defensively, and then that just opened the door for Paul Byron to get that breakaway to score to make it 3 nothing. You're bang on because if if Nick Holden was patient, he would have identified that he had a two-on-one scenario because it was a two-on-one and he wouldn't have aggressively gone after the puck. It takes a lot of team discipline to buy into the system. And I don't think fans appreciate how hard this is for players. It's developed through a playoff run. It's hard to develop a team like this because players want to do this. Nashville's failed at it. Yeah, Nashville's failed at it. Like they've they've been able to develop it one year and then fail at it the next. Like it's not a foolproof plan. Even the Islanders, the Islanders, for as well as they've done recently, and they play a very similar style. Um, first round, they made it to the second round and then got swept by the Hurricanes. And then they would be able to go back to the the um, conference final two straight years now, and they're still in a dogfight with Tampa Bay because it's literally the same type of series. It's a defensive yep. team that doesn't have as much natural talent but has a very hard-working core against a team that has all of the talent. They can pretty much beat you any way they want to, but you only have limited ways to beat them. Exactly. You know what? I completely agree. And, Jake, what do you think? I mean, we know the Habs can play with the lead because they get to play their trap-style system with confidence. Do you think the Habs have enough tools in the tool belt if they go down even a singular goal to beat Vegas in a game? I think they do, Ryan. And when I, and when I look at the Habs, I and I really think this contributes to the depth they have, and I contribute to this a lot to the success that Joel Armia has had for them in this playoff run for them so far. Um, fourth line, exactly. As a fourth line guy, to be third place on your team in playoff points is absolutely insane. And to have him be able to come in and score clutch goals at times is just an example of the depth that they have. So I think that. 
if the Habs, because of how good their depth is, if they go down in a game, I think they're very good at opportunistic scoring opportunity. They can find that hole, take advantage of one mistake you make if you're Vegas, and they can bury it. Because they have the depth and the ability to score with all of that depth to do so in those situations like that. So I do think they do, but only in a situation where they have the op like you know opportunistic scoring like that. I don't think that in the long run, if they're having a really hard time on getting chances and you know being consistent offensively in the in their zone in that zone. I just don't know if it's something that they can do with, you know, the longer the game goes on. I think right. it's more of like five minutes, say, after a goal, six minutes after a goal, or maybe even a period. That's your kind of window to score and tie it if you're trailing. But other than that, I feel like once it gets past that point, Vegas will just have too much of a control, and then it'll just be really based off of can we find one little mistake that they make in their own zone or in the neutral zone on a puck mm -hmm. or something like that. I, I agree with you. Fun. I agree with you in terms of, like, maybe on an away game. I think with a home game, I think the Habs have a chance to come back. The way that I've seen the Habs play in front of their home crowd, even though they have lost leads and they've ended up having to go to overtime, the Habs look extremely strong with a home crowd. You can tell that there's just that energy back, and it's completely one-sided energy. Like, it's not like going to, like, what a normal Habs crowd is, especially in terms of, like, on the away games, because there are Habs fans there, but there's not a big, like, there's, there's a bigger majority in terms of away fans than normal teams. But there's still not enough to really be the huge influence you on how you play. A, you can't have those fans right. travel across the border. That's the big reason. But now you are coming back to Montreal and you have maybe about 2,000, two, like I maybe 3,000 fans. More fans now, even more. It might be more than that. No travel allowed. So do you think that a Vegas Golden Knight fan made the trip in advance to Montreal? No. I don't think so. No, not a chance. Maybe there'll be like two kids there that are, that are wearing Knights jerseys that are under the age of 16. That's it. There will be a stiff majority, like 99-1% Montreal Canadiens fans, which is significantly better than the last two series. And they are like amazing in front of those fans. They can definitely well, come back. For good reason. Think about the COVID world we live in. You know, I wish the Jets had a yeah. better performance they were able to give in front of those 500 or 100 healthcare workers that showed up. Yeah. That's huge Agreed. to have fans come back. And I think that, that you're right, Zach. You hit a nail on the head there. Like really, really accurate their statement about the Montreal House and how they've been able to play so far this playoff run with those fans. Well, mm -hmm. what's interesting with Montreal is we finally have enough data um, over three series at this point mm -hmm. to be able to realize this isn't a fluke. Because I think the Jets fans, myself included, the Leafs fans, we all came at this as our team is playing really bad. Montreal's not winning. But now that I've seen this wash, rinse, repeat, I've been on the ride enough times that I have the T-shirt now. This actually is Habs hockey, and they are beating you, and this is a planned way to beat you. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to stomach because it's hard to watch, not just yeah. because it's the Habs winning, but because it's a boring game to watch in my it's opinion. It's disheartening watching as a rival. It is. They, they, as a rival or even someone that isn't a Habs fan, because I don't – like what happens in the Knights-Montreal series is irrelevant to me at this point other than mm -hmm. I like watching hockey. But it just sucks your soul out of it watching it, and you're like, okay, it's done. Like right. You just know it's done. Like a like the second the Habs get the lead, you're just like, damn. You could probably change the channel once the Habs have a two goal lead. Honestly, yeah. You probably could. It's probably you're done. just you playing with fake close. praise after that. It's just yeah. I, I mean, they 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 finished it. And what's interesting is looking at their shot totals. Like especially at the beginning of Vegas, the Habs can turn it on and be hyper aggressive and get a ton of shots. And as soon as they get a lead, they get almost no shots because they go into that lockdown trap style defense. But what is unique is we have yet, and can if you guys challenge me on it, go for it, check your phones, but I don't think we've ever had a time where the Habs have had to come back to win a game yet, have they? They've won every game by starting um, with the lead. So they, yes, I believe, I, I believe you're the correct Leafs there because. They came back in one of the Leafs games. The own, no, because the game one, they score first after the John Tavares injury. Uh, Anderson yeah. opens the scoring. Then Paul Byron scores to break the tie late on a shorthanded goal. The next two games, they go up, and then they get it gets tied, but they already had the lead uh, to point a 3 nothing lead and a 2 nothing lead. They would go to overtime, they would win. And then game seven, they would win after Gallagher opens the scoring, and they would score three straight before they would give up a late one to Toronto. And then, as we all know, in the... Um, Winnipeg series, they didn't lose at all, and they didn't. They were never trailing the entire nope. series. They only came. The only time Winnipeg came back to tie it was a game that once again Montreal would win in overtime. And and this is why I asked the question. I think Montreal's lost every game they've gone down by a goal, and I think they've won every game that they've had a lead. Yeah, it's funny they don't, don't talk about that enough. 
they don't talk about that enough that the Habs have never came back from a deficit. Yeah. So this is a legit question. I don't know if they have the tools in the tool belt. I mean, everyone, it's a, it's a hockey game, of course. Right. Tools, but I don't know if they'll be able to put it together in the playoffs if they go down a goal. It wouldn't surprise me if, if they don't because, like, you're right. I just checked, and you guys both are right. They have yet to trail the entire time, and um, that's, mm. that's huge when you think about where they are right now in the Western Conference Final and with a, a team like Vegas that has literally played a competitor that could have won the Cup probably in every round. Even the Minnesota team, that was a good Minnesota team that was hungry and took them to seven. That was, so Absolutely. They, they, they know what it's like to battle, and I think that's a huge element that this young Habs team hasn't really had to face. They've had to battle and battle back in a series, but battling back in an elim- a game where you're on the, every, your ass is on the line, that's hugely different than battling back in a series because one and done, it's over. Look what happened to the Jets yeah. in the ad-OT game, right? Like it's, That's just how quick it is. It doesn't matter if, yep. it, if you think that they've played a good game or came back. It doesn't matter as long as you win that game and score. So I think that it's, you're totally right there. That they, that's it's very rare. You see a team win the Stanley Cup without having to do at least one game where it was like it was a pretty much an elimination game. I think last year was one of the few ones where we didn't see it because the Tampa Bay Lightning pretty much led every single series they played against. They beat uh, Columbus in five. They beat Tampa in five, I think. They well, are, are in uh, Boston in five. Islanders let's six. Be, at then, least in those games, be, have potential. But the thing with that, though, Zach, is that there's at least, we don't know the exact record off the top of our heads from that, but we can at least assume that the potential that they at least had to battle back a couple of times. From this Habs yeah. standpoint, they haven't had to battle back really at all, other than when they were down in the series and they had to win. But other than Which that... Which shouldn't be understated. Which, no, definitely not. But there's, yeah. there's a difference between winning three elimination games like winning those eliminations games is huge but there's also when you have to take a lot of different other considerations on how the Leafs played what Leafs teams showed up like you know then you're getting all hypothetical but I I think the big thing that we can take away from this is the fact that they came off of a sweep from the Jets where they dominated every game and they dominated all four games that they had to win to come back and oh three games excuse me that they had to come back and win in that Leafs series and I think that's the thing is that they can come back and win in a series but in a game we haven't seen that Okay. No, we ha- we haven't seen them come back in a game, and that's really going to be an interesting test for them. That if Vegas scores first in Montreal, and if I was Peter DeBoer, um, that's all I would be doing. I would Crash send the, the farm. I would I would four they check just, five, and yeah. people are going Ryan. You can't four check five. There are systems where you four check five, and I would if even cover it risk, properly. I'd risk giving up the goal just to get the first goal because it truly seems to be first goal wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those uh, are a big tests that I would want. Those to are frustrating series control. to watch, honestly, because it just feels like you're just going through the motions Such afterwards. Like, what's so the first score? Like, by the time you get to like game four or game five or somewhere around there, wherever the series is, it doesn't matter what the lead is in each series. You're just like, damn it. Like, because you know, you you already know where it's going an hour and a half before the game is done. You know that you've lost. And it's like, how do you compete with that? Yeah, yeah, it's that's it's wild, that's what killed right? the Jets when they played against the uh, the Knights like years ago. Everyone who won who scored first won their respective game, and it was a complete one eighty from like the Nashville series where it actually didn't matter if you could come back in a game or not. Mm-hmm. Like watching yeah. those series just kills people. It just kills. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting watching it as a fan because players never players don't buy into any of this crap. They really don't. No, but it's more um, like results orientated for them. They, but you know they what, always though? think they're in control of their own destiny. I have a question um, I'd like to ask you guys about that, and it relates to the Jets a little bit because I agree with you, Ryan. Normally, I players like as even myself, I didn't really buy into that superstition. I always went out and tried to do the best I can. But to me, as a fan, maybe it's just because they're my team and I felt like it. But the Jets in that second round series against the Habs. They looked like they, they, maybe the hit and the suspension had a big thing to do with that too, but they looked like a team that bought into the fact that we were done, that they had no chance on coming back by the way they played. And, I, and, and yeah. they really did look that way. Especially, At times, especially in like two game three. two was one nothing. It's worth noting. Like that was not, like that was more of like, yeah, honestly, like that was that shorthanded was bad. goal. That was a bad game. It was a bad game, but it was one nothing game. But they bought into that mindset that the whoever scores the first goal and the Habs coming back and all that wins. Because look how they played. Look at how they played. It wasn't even first goal. It was just don't let the Habs take the first lead. And that's, I, th- I think that's a huge confidence booster for the way the Habs play too is because they, they saw the feet in their enemy's eyes well, when they, they were able to score. They need to see the results like when they're doing that because the Habs are not a huge like dominating offensive presence. But like when they do have that pressure... They need to see the results. In game one, they did not see the results, even though they had a very good first period in comparison to the rest. Uh, but in game yeah, two, uh, they had a, they had a good... Minutes, and then there was a complete Vegas the Because they time. did not score on those first few chances. Yeah. Their, most, their best chances were, were early on. Lur- 
Flurry won game one for them, not because Vegas didn't dominate them, but if Flurry doesn't make that initial save on Gallagher 30 seconds in, because Galley almost had it, and then Anderson had three balls. Yeah, if one of those goes in, now knowing what we know, I think Montreal wins that game 2-1, which is insanity to think. But that goal from Shea Theodore off the faceoff was nuts. Mm -hmm. And, and, And here's the funny thing about faceoff. So I've spent a lot of time kind of breaking them down um, I, this Great is, job this on those, is why, by the way, Ryan. yeah, those are really well done. Well, this is where announcers, like, they just don't see it and it takes so long to develop it through, but people they are really hammering. Yeah. They're hammering Suzuki on face-off loss. And I would be more pissed off at Ducharme because what are you telling your wingers to do? Yeah. Uh, you're going to lose face-offs in the yeah. D zone. But the fact that four goals have gone in off a of face-off now, buddy, Get to the board, draw it out, and get some wingers to the point. Like that's insane. And all on all the goals that they've been scoring from off of faceoffs like that, they're very similar they're simple weird. ways to stop. Like that one with the first goal that was scored by Theodore off of the draw there. That was a perfect, perfect, perfect play that you could draw up. Perfect win back to the fed spin. Stone yep. cuts to the front of the net. Great screen on Price. Almost tips it in if he did like it was an inch away from tipping it in himself. And it was a great goal, great shot. But you look also was that Leo's the yeah, or... Oh yeah, that's the same as the Pietrangelo's yeah, first goal. The that's why I was confused. <laughs> same thing with the Yanmark goal. It was a great point shot, and then he was in the right place, right time, with enough time to crash the crease because that's what Vegas was good at doing. They were looking for that rebound, and mm-hmm. you gotta be able, you gotta be able to uh, drop those plays defensively if you're Ducharme and be like, these guys are gonna come off the draw. They've got the talent to do so on the blue line, and you gotta prepare and keep that neck and that crease clear because it showed that what happens when you get bodies in front of the net if you're Vegas, you get results. Yeah. Well, what dri- what drives me nuts is when you know you hear fans say, and I get it, fans are just fans. Oh, that was just a lucky goal. Yeah, there's no there's such no thing as a lucky goal when you throw a puck at the net and a guy like Yanmark gets a stick down. Like I don't think people realize he's behind the goalie. Was... That's a setup. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, a his set stick was play. there perfectly. He may have yeah. picked it out of midair, but he also has amazing hand eye. They practice not plays mm-hmm. like that, but they practice skills like that. Where he's going to the net there for a reason, and they'll knock down pucks like hand eye, just like a mm-hmm. batter in baseball. Yeah. And yeah, sure, it hits a rogue leg, but you know what? You're you have to adjust because, frankly, take a shot that isn't in the slot and find a shot that doesn't hit a player. Yeah, that was a perfect play because it was so perfect when you think about it. Because especially like from a goalie point of view, that shot is going wide. That shot was. I cannot express this enough. The net is here. Yamark's right here. He knows that Price is playing it to the point when once it gets further than his extension. Goalies yep. know that the puck will go wide from there because we've set ourselves up well enough. So yep. Price moves. He knows it goes wide. So he doesn't really focus on having to turn around to go get it because he'll know it'll hit the wards, maybe go up the ice, maybe it doesn't matter. And Yanmark's just standing there. He's got his body behind his stick. So even if he doesn't hit the stick, probably hits his leg or something like that and doesn't even need to move the stick. It's yeah. 100% the best play you can make from that angle. You don't need to be price clean. You just need to put it around him, and a guy will do it for you. And a lot of the shots, too, are coming from with, uh, the Royal Road, too, from where the blue line is and stuff like that. <laughs> They've been really good at that. With getting the yeah. have, have I burnt yeah. that into your brains yet, the term the Royal Road? I've known well, that when you years. see a team like Vegas, Golden Knights. I just never talked does. about it in hockey until you stood it. I was like, you know what? I guess I can <laughs> use this in conversation now, not just on a bench yeah. anymore. <laughs> you see the uh, comparison with the Canadians don't do that as well. The Canadians no, work no, best that, when they're cycling it the off the uh, high circles. Talent. They don't have the talent. They yeah, don't, they don't and the Knights' check is better on the the Knights' forecheck is better on the Canadians' defenseman, which I noticed, especially well, in game two. Well, notice how many times the Canadians get a chance, and it's a one-shot chance that if it doesn't win, it's it's not there. It's either a right. breakaway or it's Gallagher scoring rebounds on Jack Campbell. It's not like Vegas where it's one, two, three, and in the back of the net you had no chance. That's why I talked mm-hmm. about in my it's... first game and the series preview for that is that the Habs are, have way much better depth and they play that trap style that we've been talking about so much better. But when you get the stars of the, of the Knights going, they're hard to beat with the talent that yeah, they have. Yeah, for sure. Like, That's why it matters so much yes. on that first 10 minutes. Exactly. Because if they don't score in that first 10 minutes, and it, worse yet, if they get scored on in those first 10 minutes, now you have to change your entire strategy. Well, exactly. Because and that, and that relates to what I, it doesn't saying about um, right. whatever the I'm, I'm, is it Pete DeBoer is the coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Yes. Yep. Pete DeBoer yes. wanting to roll up for the next game, get that first goal, even if you're doing a five-man uh, forecheck, because that's smart. You're Ryan, you're right, because you know that the Habs, even though they're going to play a good trap defense, it's going to be harder to score goals. You have the star power to be able to draw up those tic-tac-toe plays and put one behind Price. 
Oh my god, I would I would literally dump every puck into the corner, send two after the puck minimum and three to the front of the net yeah, and just and then throw it at the front of the net and see what junk comes up and make them just scramble and battle. That's a good idea, mm. right? especially cuz Price this year even though he's been phenomenal, there have been times where around him in the crease he's looked like he's been flustered cuz the Haps haven't been able to do a good enough job to giving him enough, you know, room to see the puck. Well, if you can fake Price on the movement, it's dead. Yeah, like he's dead in the water. That's what we saw with the Shea Theater or beautiful goal in game 1. That's yeah, even what we like saw near the end. Like there's one that was a pass across cross crease, which looks like a normal cross crease. If you if you just watch it live, you're like, oh wow, he just got beaten across crease. No, Price thinks that the first pass is going this way, and then needs to make a little adjustment this way, and then the cross crease pass comes across. So the goalie and then Price pretty much just goes, and there's no room. There's no room for him to save the puck. It's just well, you need to be more advanced when you're playing against Carey Price. There, Simple there as that. There isn't a play in hockey that Carey Price hasn't seen yep. from every angle. There mm -hmm. is not a play. It doesn't exist. So he has a very good idea of which way guys are going and how they're going there, and he's setting himself up for it, as you said. It's interesting, those? though, because this isn't the Thomas Placanics, Max Pacioretty, Montreal Canadiens. It's very, it's very hard for me non-biasedly to get out of the head that the Habs are soft and can't take hits and you should blow them up because the Knights are one of the biggest, most physical and scary teams I've ever seen. And they hit the Habs, and the Habs just hit them right back and get up. Mm -hmm. they, they just they will not be intimidated. The Habs need to be careful with that though, because I think in a battle of in a war of attrition, Habs lose yeah, because well, the Habs just don't have enough one. guys. Game one, they were trying to out hit them the whole first period, and they ended up. That's the funny play. thing. People always talk about this. They talk about the count, like the hit counter. You know what hits mean? It means you does you don't have the puck. That's what that means. It means you do not have the puck. Therefore, you were trying to make an attempt to get the puck off someone else. And if you have more hits, it means it didn't work. Like, yeah. if you have even more hits after that, it's it's well, fine in terms of physical playoff hockey in trying to set a tone. But, but if you're only relying on that to get the puck off a guy's stick, you're probably losing because you don't have the puck on your stick to begin with. And that, because, and that well, relates what? back to the, the Habs not owning the neutral zone, even the slightest, within the first eight minutes of their dominance. It came from being in Vegas' own zone and putting a lot of good pressure on Marc-Andre Fleury with those early chances. Once those Which chances is a change from transitional play. Exactly, exactly. And the transitional play was all... Even when they were good, I would say that Vegas owned the transitional play in that first 10 minutes, yeah, I would say. Yeah, because they have enough t skill and talent to take it there. So exactly. much speed. Well, and what you nailed there is that I hear two I hear two things from Habs fans in the comments. One, we need Jeff Petrie back. It's not fair we don't have Petrie. Uh, buddy, wake the frick up. It's the playoffs. There's always key injuries. And yep. if you can't win a cup with Even key your injuries, best defenseman, that doesn't matter. You can't really. win. I've, yeah. I've watched teams win with their top two players out because it's depth, depth, depth. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't matter who it is. And number two, every time I see the Habs throw a check where a player doesn't have the puck or they um, – <laughs> You're completing or, a check for or, no reason or, and putting but, yourself up. I hate to be salty, but every single time, and I see it 10 times a game where the Habs have taken runs at guys. Uh, hi, Mark Shifley. Remember he made a body check that was <laughs> intent to injure. Oh my God. He was looking to hit him. And I'm like, well, yeah, look, he was just trying to kill him. He just didn't look. He was trying to kill him. He just didn't. And like it's just a good check. I I can't do it. I don't know why. I'm too salty this series from like. Well, it's one of those things that, that interference is not real. You can't tell me it's real in the playoffs. Like interference is a joke. Let's be honest. Like because I've said this before, but it it begs repeating. Interference is not a penalty you will, I I think almost ever see called in the Stanley Cup playoffs, especially in later rounds. Because what happens is. Every time there's a dump and chase situation, I can probably count at least two interferences on every play. The guy dumps it in. The second defender who's not getting the puck will go like this and skate in front of him and go like this. Just hold his arm out like this. And then nothing will be existing because it wasn't enough aggressiveness to warrant a penalty that takes a guy off in the playoffs that becomes an issue. That's it. Well, where I'm going with this is I, I'm I'm really starting to almost feel like I'm done with this playoff hockey thing for two reasons. One it seems like the NHL is only calling based on outcome of the physical play. Cause do you remember Carlson cross-checking Edmondson into the boards there? Like he yep. destroyed him, but Edmondson gets up and no call. It shouldn't uh, have been a, a fine then, suspension should have been a penalty easily though. Well, and then a transition over to the Islanders series, Braden point runs the goalie. Absolutely. I talked about this. No, but we it's know, not even. We know because he hit a goalie. The outcome was he hit a goalie, so the arm must go up, even though it's mm -hmm. not a call. And I'm getting really frustrated with the NHL as a whole, only calling penalties based on outcome as opposed to action. 
We've seen that actually in the past, though. Like, if you go back and, and like, I don't want to no, get into it because it's such a polarizing NHL. topic, but, like, is... the Joe Pavelski thing, that's outcome-based. Now, I'm yep. fine with it because it happened against the Knights, but it's outcome-based. It's <laughs> it's one of those, it's, like, it's just, I don't know. The thing is, is, like, it feels like we're almost preparing our teams for two separate sports sometimes because you either have, you have a team that is skill-based, but they need toughness. Like, look at Tampa compare them the 2019 tampa to 2020 tampa what's missing was grit and why do you need grit because playoff hockey penalties do not get called as much they do not get like drawn as much and you don't have as many power plays you cannot be reliant on that otherwise you will not win well it seems like all you need to do in the regular season now and the stats on this say this in the nba same with the mlb and the nfl the top team number one and number two end up winning 70 to 80 percent of the time that like never in the, happens in, in the nhl it's 30 percent. so what that yeah, shows there's a curse is, yeah so when you're building a team it's not a curse when you're building a but, team, like yeah the, playoff, the playoffs are a totally different game than the regular season on not on top of the fact of just the rules but the fact that it's a game every second night so it's a war right. of attrition <laughs> so the interesting thing about it is at what point do you you know transitioning over to the jets how do the jets build a team in the central next year that can not only make the playoffs because that's going to be a, a slog but can actually yeah. win in the playoffs when the season changes well, that's what i wanted to talk about with you guys and kind of direct it over to the whole petrie thing where we were talking about how you know oh the habs <laughs> fans that were like oh if petrie's out we're losing the series and how this and like you need players to it feels like it feels like an early that. excuse it, if you ask me it, but... to me it, yeah. it, well, exactly and it goes back to what ryan was saying it's like it doesn't matter if your top guys go out you need to find a way to have the depth show up and you need to find a way to win it it's the playoffs you have to expect type of injuries like that might happen to you at some point and it relates mm -hmm. me to the jets even last year when they lost Lina and Shifley, I'm sick and tired of watching this Jets core. I don't know about you guys. Have some if we're deaf, where happens. is it? Exactly. In the and I talked about this in almost every Wheeler and Connor year. were invisible exactly. last year, and this year they were too. Kyle Connor was invisible in the second round. Well, here, but so I, here's a question to you, Jake. Go shoot. Big question, and Zach, don't jump over him this time because now you're pulling <laughs> a Jake and you're going the other way. <laughs> you guys have switched roles. That's awesome. Question about Kyle Connor. Would you now next year knowing that when Shifley or a key cog is away from Connor, because Connor seems to need that yep. cog to perform, would you trade now Kyle Connor, regardless of how good the contract is, regardless of how much he scores when a guy is in to bring in a key defenseman like a Absolutely. Dougie Hamilton or something? Absolutely. Absolutely in a heartbeat. It depends. It all depends on who you're bringing in. But if, for example, like, like for example, if if the Jets were like, oh, Seth Jones and some other pieces for Kyle Connor, no, don't take that. You move Kyle Connor with that contract for a guy that is elite, not a guy that's just a good top four caliber guy. You have to move him for a guy like Hamilton. So I think it's all circumstantial. But 100%, if there's a trade that Kyle Connor's name is the only way you can bring this guy to the club, and he's a huge like all-star a big difference maker i say you move him because kyle connor is a type to me like and a lot of jets fans said this after um the whole oh we have a goal scorer in kyle connor we don't need patrick liney patrick liney is what a goal scorer is kyle connor is just a guy that has fits really really good with mark shifley when you remove him from anywhere else in the lineup and put him anywhere else in the lineup he fails to get results consistently the last few seasons and i'm sick of it personally because if he's such a great all-star talent where is he in the playoffs without the mark shifley well, and that's the thing. A winger is supposed to be a complementary piece exactly. to the center. That's why you call it the Shifley line. But if you can't accept a key injury to a player, which has happened now to Shifley twice plus a suspension, mm -hmm. um, if you can't accept one injury and the rest of your superstars can't step up and fill that void, then clearly the mix doesn't work. So, Zach, what, what's your take on that then? What do you? On and Kyle I'm not Connor? saying. By the way, this isn't a trade Kyle Connor thing. It's not going to happen. No. His deal's too no, good. He's a scorer. Sure. I'm saying, what what's your take on the fact that when one player of the Jets is out, specifically Shifley, the team seems to fall apart completely. How do it's, you make up for that from a depth perspective? Now they can't. It's com it's completely frustrating because I hate this. I like I I have gone on record saying that we have good depth. That being said, this team seems almost confident in trying to prove me wrong come playoff time. Because here's the thing. Do we have a lot of guys that can put up points on our team? Yes. And even guys that can put up points the odd games. Here's the thing. When we talk about those team, like talk about those players, they need to play with the same players, which is frustrating beyond belief. For like, for example, the one the the biggest positive I got from this year, one of the biggest positives, was seeing 
Andrew Cobb, even though I'm not sure if he'll be here next year, because he could be taken, and that's fine, I'll accept it. But watching Andrew Cobb be able to score with more than just two freaking players. He imagine remember, he was on the line with Appleton and um Appleton and Lowry. He scored. He was on the line with Stastny and Ehlers. He put up points. That is so you need to be versatile, not just in how you play on the ice, but who you play with on the ice. You cannot be so dependent on one player to lead you to greatness. Mm -hmm. It will kill you because it then it they don't even need to cover two guys then. They just need to cover one. Because once you cover one guy, the other guy's not going to do anything. It's honestly what happened to Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. I cannot stress this enough. Those two are some of the best players in the league. They shut down Matthews. Marner did nothing. Did nothing. He It made him look like a complimentary player. And those things hurt to see because then you pretty much nerfed your entire top six. And now you're relying on depth, score, depth scoring to score at key points where you would otherwise want star power to show. But that, that's it a problem. Completely. But that's the problem so I, with that Zach too, as well, is that when you look at the playoff run that we just had, how frustrating was it to see guys like Logan Stanley, to see guys like Derek Forward, to see actual depth from like real depth, depth that's not supposed to score. Forward and Stanley had good playoffs. How, how, I can't frust- I'm saying how this. frustrating is it to see guys like that show up and be actual leaders on the ice and play with heart compared to Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, I will even say Neil Pionk, Josh Morrissey. The only person I excuse from the all-star group of players the Jets has is Connor Hellebuck because he was a the con smite. He deserved a con smite just off of the performances he gave in those two rounds. He was that good. The point is yeah. that the, the, the Jets need to find a way, and I think a lot of this stems to Blake Wheeler and where how he's just so I'm never not leaving that number one line, and that's a problem. Right. They, they lack of like they need change. to balance their time yes. their time on ice attack on on ice a lot better, especially come like the the later stretch of the season. Because let's be honest, this Jets team is always two separate seasons. It's the season before the All Star break, as we like to call it, and then the season afterwards. No, that's first old, half of the that, season that maybe... is always amazing. No. Is always be- no the first no no. First half of the Jets season, always better than the second half. So you you think that this year too? Because for me, this year, the Jets were mediocre throughout the entire season. We, we went on a seven-game losing yeah. streak near the end, Jake. Yeah, but that, no, yeah. I'm not talking about We were talking about being maybe the top about... team in the North in the first Look, half. I'm not talking, I am about, understanding the, I'm not you... talking about the Jets being a couple years ago, because you're right, they were. Especially no, no, that this Louis season year. as well. Not this season. And they were, No, that's because the Jets, you're, over, you're the overgeneralizing the entire season as mediocre. No, because the Jets were bad from game one to the end of 56. In every area of certain times, it just changed. When you like, no, they weren't though. Yes, they were. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, they weren't. Listen to what I'm saying, and you'll see. Okay. When we started the season, what was the Jets' biggest weakness? And I know it was a weakness all year round. We talked about a lot, but it was defense. Defense. But then, hold on, hold on. It transitioned from defense at at the start. It wasn't defense. It was it, it, the defense at the start of the season was good. Derek Forbert was looking like one of the best free agent acquisitions we've seen of the entire free agency that went down. And then you have what happens from that is it transitions to you have some problem with your top guys. But then Andrew Kopp shows up. You've got good depth again. Then you've got Mason Appleton going on that two-week run that he had. But then what happens at the end of the season is that every bad part of the club that we saw throughout the rest of the season, mediocrity, it all built into that losing streak because it wasn't just the fact that we went on whatever it was 15 games or seven games. That last 25 games, it was the definition of crap hockey, and the Jake played crap hockey. But I the but last I think, 25 games is the second half of the year, yeah, Jake. Yeah, but I'm talking about putting it all together. They still played mediocre but, the entire but, season. But you just said that they did good at the beginning. No, they had so an element. That. No, they didn't. You're not hearing boys, me right again, man. Boys, you're only one in one year after the other. Out. You're not listening to me. Boys, time out. You're actually saying the same thing. No, we're not. Yeah, you are. Jake is saying, in my understanding, they started the season at this level, which was okay, but it was good enough to win. As everybody continued to improve, the Jets remained at this level, and thus the area of play goes down because teams improve, the Jets stay the same. Zach is saying the beginning of the season was the best part of our season, which is also true because it went like this. It never went like this. It was The Jets Jets don't adapt in the second half. That's good, the problem. Good, 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 good. And and it good could be mediocre because we never lost two in a row in the first 25. It was good enough, good enough, good enough, good enough cliff. And what you're saying, Jake, is the Jets never did this. They never had an improvement to their game. It was always middle of the pack. Exactly. They got exposed. But so I think you're saying the same thing. 
I, 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 maybe we are, maybe we're not. I, I, perfect for me, it just. I just don't think you like the wording I'm saying. It is saying I don't think that you like the fact that I'm just saying good. Yeah, I which think is that's really fine. I understand that because I, you know what? I, for me, it just I can't, I can't give this team any credit at all. In because of how it ended. Be no, yeah. because, not because of how it ended. Because in look, and I'm. This is just how I covered every season. Zach, you're a very happy fan. I like, I like <laughs> to look at hockey. You are. You're just a fan who likes watching hockey. For me, I like watching hockey when my team's good, and I still watch them when they're bad. But when they're bad, I am not gonna just be, hey, we'll get them next game or bad game not enough bounces i criticized them and when i saw this team throughout the entire season from game one to whatever 56 or however many games it was i can never remember it looked like a team that was just didn't deserve to be in the playoffs they, 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 the, the jets the jets always how, like you and, I, and for me it becomes down and this is just my opinion i don't like the fact that the jets are in this season it showed the coaching the income the incompetence from their leaders and yes. just overall play on the ice. And because but, of that, yeah. I just can't give them any credit. So I don't think saying they're good is worth it. Even if we're on the same page, I, just, I have to argue there. I, I just can't <laughs> let I can't let that slide because... I, but this I just, is terminology, Jake. This is terminology we're disagreeing but they're with. Not, but, they're, but they're just... Yeah, I'm but, fine but with the terminology is the biggest thing, man. Because you can't give them credit. Because the thing is, if we give the Jets credit for how they play now, like every other fan does, we're just encouraging more years of mediocrity. But no, it's not that. I'm just yeah, saying that this team needs to be able to adapt to the second half of the season because they can, they will, they succeed. And what does succeed mean? They're winning. Exactly. That's never what it means. It at all, they though. win in the first half. We've Hold seen on. this in like One the last second. three seasons. I want to ask, I want to ask Ryan this a little bit. Have him jump in on this. Ryan, yes. in your opinion, you're a coach, so you see this a lot. So you can probably even see more ups and downs and improvement of a team than I, even I can as a fan and as a player who's played. Do you think that there was at any point where the Jets actually started to go up and look like they were a much better team or did you just think that they were the same team with different problems showing up at different points of the season and maybe having in inflated play because of Connor Hellebuck at times so this is how I took the season last year at the beginning of the season when the rankings came out and we were at the bottom um, in terms of like Vegas betting odds everybody was fired up and I went no I agree I see the holes I agree that's where we are and then we started winning and the way we were winning I remember being the salty fan and coach with friends and sometimes this is hard when you watch hockey differently if if you will not just as a fan but critically mm -hmm. people were going we're winning and I'm going we're winning but this can't hold because we're getting outshot we're not getting enough shots and I see enough holes this is not going to hold and then something happened basically game 20 to 25 showed up and we went on a little four or five game win streak. We, we were beating the, the Habs. We were beating the Leafs. We beat them in the three game series. We were beating the Oilers. And eventually I just went, okay, everything I know about hockey is wrong. The Jets are winning. I'm on the train. I'm done being salty. This team is elite because nothing matters but W's. And then the slide started and the doubt started creeping in my head. So critically looking back, there was a point where I was fully on board with this team is not as good as the wins they're producing. And then it flipped because it has to flip because wins are wins where I was like, okay, this team's clearly elite. And that's when my expectations got up. And that's why my heart broke so much when it came to the playoffs, because it was what it was. So if I, if I look at this critically in order to fix it, the jets need to keep shots away from Hellebuck. They need to improve depth so that when they get injuries, because it'll happen all the time, they don't fold like a cheap tent. And they need to improve leadership. And we have four big wingers right now, including Andrew Kopp. So Connor, Ehlers, Kopp, and uh, Wheeler. And wingers just don't drive results. They don't. They're complementary pieces. And Dubois didn't step in and do what needed to be done. Shifley, I'm still going to, I'm going to die on the hill that Shifley does. Um, and you're not going to be able to upgrade from him. So next year, I would be looking to move out a couple of those winger pieces for back end pieces to support Hellebuck. And I would be looking as crazy as that sounds. And, and the name isn't Nick Ehlers. And I would be looking at getting Perfetti into the lineup sooner than later. And as yeah. a centerman, because of Dubois, I would basically give Dubois 15 games. If he doesn't hack it, I'd move him to the wing with Shifley. Yep. Interesting. And I'd move per and I'd move Perfetti into that second line center immediately and start developing just like the Habs did with Suzuki uh, and Kotkin. Yeah. Get them into their center role because Maurice loves putting centermen at the wing. We had a million centers at one point that never got to take a draw. Yeah. And Jets fans would say, Rozovic's a center and Perot's a center and Kopp uh, is a center. And I'm like, they're not centers. They haven't played center in the NHL a day in their lives. They will never be a center again just because they played it in junior. <laughs> they play center but, against the Buffalo Sabres. I, not don't want, I don't want them doing that because Lowry's not going anywhere. I don't want them doing that to um, to Perfetti. So if I started the year next year, I would slot Perfetti in as my third line center, Lowry back down to the fourth line. 
Okay. I agree with that. And I would start, I would build a young scoring third line led by Perfetti. And if Dubois slips, I'd flip him. Who would you put on the rest of the third line there? Would you put, would you bring up Gustafson as well? Well, it depends if we keep Appleton. So looking at the Seattle draft as short as it is, there's a world, Zach, where you're like, oh man, I don't want to lose Andrew Kopp. Well, we may not sign Andrew Kopp and he may walk in free. No, I know that. It's RFA, though. He's so... RFA. He's RFA. He's RFA. So you could probably trade him off, actually, if you're being honest, yeah. just at least for something. Because nobody likes seeing a, teacher, an RFA teacher, walk. Teacher, teacher. I have a question. I want to ask you guys this because I just talked about this, actually, ironically, in my most recent video about Andrew Kopp. I think okay. potentially we could look at a swap that makes sense where you move Andrew Kopp or... to St. Louis for Vince Dunn. Both RFAs, both wanting more money, I don't both, need in that. both in situations. And here's Wait, my thing: isn't Vince Dunn left-handed though? Doesn't matter because you can move him around. Uh, and you, can, you can move. I'm, I'm sorry, but I, left hand, right hand doesn't mean shit. I, I, I know. You can I'm trans, just thinking. You can, trans, you can you can move guys over and just see how it works. And also, here's my thing: Vince Dunn could be a type of guy where we sign him to a deal similar to what Neil Pionk signed. Now, obviously, he will not probably sign for three million. If we got him for three million, holy crap! You mean Dylan DeMello, right? Because Pionk isn't signed yet. Pionk was signed to a two-year, three million dollar contract after. The acquisition with the New York Rangers. Yeah. That's what I'm referring to. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm talking about. I'm talking about that. A oh, right, bridge right. deal would be signed with a guy like Dunn because he, although he's 24, um, he has he has been had some issues lately. Even though he had a good season, in my opinion, I think it could. Look, I, I'm just curious. We're not going to go too in depth on it. We're running out of yeah. time here. We're not going to go down this rabbit hole. I'm just curious to <laughs> both of you guys, as Jets fans, as people who know the game analytically and cap sense, what would you, would you be open to an option like that if Andrew Cobb wants, let's say, four and a half to five million dollars, and you want to put that money towards upgrading your defense? What would you rather have? Go. Well, here, so here, here's the way I look at it. It, it can't just be it just on the Andrew Cop question because the question becomes, and we know Winnipeg's not going to deal him, but you have to establish, are you going to trade Cop for something like that, or should you put a bigger fish out in Wheeler or Connor? No one will take those to guys, go big though. game. No one will take Connor, they would take, but Wheeler. I'm Unless sorry. there's salary retention. We and the other thing is Wheeler is going to retire a jet either with the contract still up or whatever happens there. And when he does, that's when they'll look at maybe moving on from Paul Maurice. I have a theory that so, until the Jets move, Wheeler is gone, then we'll be stuck with this kind of same magic we have now. Wheeler runs that room. He's not yep, going anywhere. So, yeah, no, yeah. I totally agree. But so then you go ahead, you move cop for it. That's fine. I would be okay with it. Um, it all depends what they're going to do with Stasny and how they're going to spread out their, their depth. Because as Zach was asking before, what do you do kind of next year? So let's assume Andrew Kopp gets traded. Mm -hmm. If that happens, then I think it is safe to assume that Mason Appleton will likely get picked up in the expansion draft. What about Dominello? Mm -hmm. Dominello? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah no. because you have you have uh, Demello and you have Stanley if they're picked. And if one of those guys, yeah, is you're telling pretty, us that you thought promising why... options. And I think I they don't take know. DeMello. DeMello's very responsible, and he's under contract for a bit. That'd be a good guy to have to help mesh some younger defensemen if you're building a Yeah, but we're also, looking at, we're also looking at what Seattle sees. And Seattle sees a Jets offense with a lot of depth. They might as well take it after. True. Yeah, no, totally agree. I'll be right back, guys. <laughs> Honestly, like, it's weird, isn't it? Like, we're looking at all these situations, and there's so many. Like, because this is a better offseason than normal, isn't it? Oh, yes and no. I think that for the first well, time... Well, it's better than 2019 offseason. Well, that was rough. Here's the thing, that was though, rough. Here's the thing, though, Zach. is like, oh, it's better for us? We have we have no idea what's going to happen still. So we, have less to, we have less to theoretically lose. I disagree yeah. with that, kind of. Well, actually, I don't know. Theoretically. Maybe. Like, they, we don't need to sign a bunch of UFAs. Personally, which And UFA contracts I'm are scary. Higher, well, you know what, though? And Neil Pionk is a very interesting piece, and he could be pricey. I personally don't think he will be that pricey, but Ryan, you've kind of started to convince me that we could be seeing a bigger pay increase than I suspect with Neil Pionk. I, I have a matching contract with Morrissey in the back of my mind for this, if and I'm going to say it right I'm now. I'm not, cheering. That's scary. I'm not cheering to Jets fans to be right on this one. I want to be wrong and see a $4 million dollar deal, mm -hmm. but... Based that Morrissey contract looks a little scary, to be honest. Based on the analytics, well, they're not because if you think about this, Morrissey's trash. To have a, yeah, but yeah, like a, the, the thing is, is expectation player. compared to the league. Hold on, That's hold, the on thing. hold on, Ryan, please continue. To have, a, to have a top four defenseman, even if you don't see Morrissey as a number one at his right. age, locked in at six and a half is is a deal, regardless yeah. of what happens. The problem with the Jets is that they don't have another big defenseman that's supposed to be carying the load. Preaching. 
That's the issue. The so if factor. you have to have a bunch, if you have to have a bunch of guys signed in at good deals, that's fine. What ended up hurting the Jets is that Wheeler contract and those winger contracts, because there is absolutely a world where you should have three defensemen at six and a half million dollars of the quality of Morrissey and Pionk. If you had Morrissey and Pionk at six and a half million times by two in your top four, you'd be fine. Because you wouldn't be expecting the load to be on one guy. You'd just roll two pairings out and everything would be okay. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, kind of like... I've been I've been preaching is that you're rolling out, you know, you're, you're like you're rolling out Morrissey, who's a very good guy. But like we just said, he's not a number one. He's not going to carry a pairing. He needs a good roll- partner, exactly. otherwise he can't. You're rolling him out with garbage like Nathan Beaulieu and uh, Tucker Pullman, that are very good third pairing <laughs> guys and sub, you know, replaceable talent, but not for a f- top four and not for a first pairing. Right. No, you need you need plays. to roll him out with with a similar quality exactly. player, of Morrissey. You need Morrissey paired with Morrissey, as gross as that sounds, and then everything works <laughs> out. It would though. It but would. I, but what I think the Jets need to acquire on defense is a number four right-handed shot because Stanley is going to play, in my opinion, in that second slot, in that number three slot. Oh, I think Morrissey and Pionk to this day still have to play together. So I would bring in a, another bigger right-handed shot that can play with Stanley, and now you got a physical pairing, and then you got a pretty pairing, and then if Ville Hanola doesn't crack the top six this year, I'm going to lose it. He won't. I'm going to lose it. He won't. I know it sound like that. He, he, won't, he won't. He won't. We know if why. He, like, we have so many prospects. Not, he's not going to let him show up. It's the same thing with Perfetti. So, Perfetti's not playing uh, either next year. Perfetti needs to play. Perfetti needs year, to play. If they don't play next year, we all need to just resign as Jets fans that the year is done, move on, watch something else, and yep. come back the year after because Hanola and Perfetti need a big role. Uh-huh. Ideally, you would roll as your centermen's being Shifley, Dubois, Perfetti, Lowry in that order. You would, I would personally move, Maurice will never do this. I would move Wheeler to line three with Perfetti because Wheeler needs to work with the young kid and teach him how to be a pro. And Mark the only Shifley way that happens how to is be if a they pro. bounce time. Is they bounce well, time on ice. Maybe they should take a lesson from the Habs. We've been begging to see We've that. We've talked about this a lot, Coach. Year. And you are the big yep. advocator for this. Paul Maurice will never, ever change the way he coaches. And and that's why I, I have so little no, no faith for next year. Minutes. You know where you know who Maurice is really good with? Maurice is good to take a garbage team to a mid-pack team yes. and then fire him. Yes, exactly. Maurice, and that's what the Jets every, were when they contract. Him. Every contract Maurice should have should be a three-year deal for a team like the Flyers right now. Great example. All Maurice to the Flyers. Maurice goes up into the Flyers and moves them into a, um, you know what, uh, a better contender because he will. Mm -hmm. And then let him go after three years when you need to get over the hump because he's not winning the cup. And the Jets, didn't he the make Jets the ownership? like finals with Carolina too? He didn't. They, they didn't win. Obviously, they were playing the. No, the Peter Laviolette won it. Yeah, he never took him there. He no, 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 no. Two of two. He didn't take him there. He got him to the finals, Maurice. Yes, that's what I'm finals. saying. That's what I'm saying. He, then then he, he they got, didn't win. Then he got fired, and yes. rightfully so. And then Laviolette won the cup. That's what you have to do with Maurice. Get you into a spot which we were in two or three years ago, and then let him go for another coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a lot of opportunities to go big game hunting, and we never did it. And people say, oh, that coach won't want to come here. A coach will go anywhere if it's a contender and yeah. he has a job and he's They're unemployed. Not like and there were... They're not players. No, there was a couple. You won't put, put, like you won't poach a coach from a team like that for that. But the mm-hmm. fact that Gerard Gallant was unemployed for a year, let, like put that in perspective. Oh, That's I amazing. I know. And now, and, and people were going, well, maybe he comes to Winnipeg and uh, old little Ryan's sitting here going, uh, he's going to New York. Why would he go anywhere else? And he's now in the number one hockey franchise in the world. And sorry to Leafs and Habs fans, but the Rangers are worth more money than everybody. Yep. I mean, it's be. all, it's the Rangers. I mean, so the fact that you're unemployed and then the coach of the Rangers should show you how good of a coach he is. Because they could, the Rangers could probably go to any coach under contract in the league and pry him away from that team if the team would let him. And even then, yep. the Rangers could probably pay that team to say, exactly. you know what? If they wanted Maurice and we said we didn't want to give him gone, I guarantee you he could tell Chevy because there's no rules with coach tampering. Look, send me him. I'll pay his contract and I'll pay you $10 million. Well, that's, I, could, I would wish that, but that ain't happen. It's not going to happen. We're so it'll be interesting. It, it, it'll also be interesting some other coaches to watch. Sheldon Keefe is going to be an interesting one to watch, not because he's not good, but because Dubas is going to have to save his own skin. I think the pressure on Dubas is going to be immense. Mm-hmm. Um, so Keefe will be an interesting one on the market. Um, I wish they would just pull the, the, the Band-Aid off because we know the Jets are heading to Dave Lowry. 
We know it. No, they they brought so in good. Dave Lowry for a reason. So you know, they, they did not put him into this role um, if they thought Charlie Huddy was going to be the second in command. <laughs> He's not happening. It's Charlie Dave Huddy Lowry. Charlie should have lost his job five years ago. Maurice a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Have you met him? He's a very nice guy, yes. I, oh, he always seems like it, but... So I, I've had the pleasure of meeting Paul three separate times. Uh, Paul remembered me the second time. That's how good of a memory Paul has because we got wow. I got to meet him at coaching stuff. Yeah, so the first time I met Paul, uh, he was standing at the MTS Iceplex. I went up to him and said, hey, like, Paul, like, I just introduced myself. I said, you know, I'm a big fan of yours and the Jets. You're doing awesome. And he goes, that's great. Um, the second time uh, that I met him, uh, he was, again, at the Iceplex leaning up against the glass. And a bunch of kids were like, oh, my God, that's Paul Maurice, like kids that I coach. And I was like, go ask him for the autograph. And they're like, we can't do that. And I was like, hey, Paul. And he came over. He's like, hey, you're that Rangers coach. And I'm like, I am. How the heck do you remember? And he's like, oh, I got a good face for this. He goes, your kids want an autograph. And his wife was with him and goes, don't worry, I'll hold the camera. Like, we are talking the classiest two human beings you've ever met. If you ever meet Paul Maurice, as much as you may want wins, he is the nicest human being. And you'll never say a bad thing about him again after. And the third time I met him was in a coaching seminar. I was lucky enough that he was hosting one. And he sat in, he shook everybody's hand. He was super gracious. Like everyone loved him. And then he looked, he goes, Rangers coach again. And I was like, I can't believe you remember this. It's unbelievable. His memory, that man must have 10,000 people in his memory bank minimum that he knows a little bit about. So I understand why he stays with organizations because he strikes me as the guy that walks through the MTS center and knows the part-time janitor's name. Yeah, he just does. Surprise me. He's, what, what it's hard to like hate that, a man though? like that. What pigs always got a good? They always bring in the good guys. Like I've, every every player and anyone I've ever met involved with the organization has always been amazing. And even going back to the original Jets, you know, like uh, Dale Howardchuck, I've met him lots of times. He before he passed away, rest in peace, and he was a fantastic human being. Well, Mark Chipman's very similar Mark to that Chipman sense, is, a really yeah, regular guy. He but here's the problem. I'm sorry, Mark Chipman. If for some reason you ever hear this, that doesn't win cups. I know. I know. Root ruthlessness and assholes win cups good guys it doesn't happen because you got to be able to cut ties with personal relationships yeah. with wheelers chevys and, and maurice's to move forward and that's why they ha we haven't seen any of that that's why we've seen loyalty we don't mean everything do you think anyone in boston has any idea what anyone's name is they don't ah, get to stick around long no. enough before they're fired exactly exactly the Bru the bruins would the bruins owner would fire his own mother if it got him into the playoffs Exactly. Can't draft. They can't draft for shit. I mean, they passed on Matthew Barzell three times. <laughs> and Kyle Connor. <laughs> yeah, I know, but Barzell's clearly the gem. Like, as That's good true. as Kyle Connor is, it's always Barzell's great. The one that when I always love to bathe in is the Jake Buchanan, the Canucks passing on Nikolai Ehlers. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that, that, I rub that, that in my that, friend's faces all the time. That really sounds a lot worse now. I'm just saying, like, hey. oh. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. All right, moving on from that. <laughs> oh, man. well they probably drafted jake Vertanen because he has an innate ability to not say no, no. oh and ladies and gentlemen that... <laughs> yeah that's jake Vertanen for you he's a hard four check okay yeah, I... all in all. Yeah, exactly oh. hey we're not supporting jake Vertanen. <laughs> this isn't being making light like see you later pal Disclaimer. like enjoy uh... jail. <laughs> enjoy yeah, jail. enjoy jail or the KHL, which is hey, kind of how a lot uh, of it hey, goes. Hey, Slava, Slava Voinov will welcome him. Oh. <laughs> you we can get on a line with Brendan Leipzig. <laughs> you know you you know, you know, carry uh, your own bag in the KHL? Yeah. I've watched videos of <laughs> the thing. KHL. It's so funny, man. It's so different. It is completely different. There is no trainers and peanut butter jellies with... It's weird when you think on. about it. I love the story like, of just, all the players. Like, like, when I... they land, they've got no idea where to go. When they get to their room, it's just a ball of vodka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i love the one where ryan whitney wrote on the players tribune that the coach barely spoke english so he just called him obama because he was english and that was the only name he could think of that was english speaking so ryan whitney <laughs> got called they would yell at him in in some broken english skate obama skate <laughs> <laughs> or they, if he made a wrong play they'd be like obama what are you doing what yeah, are you imagine doing? If ryan whitney in the khl is just the funniest thing honestly well, go just... look at go look at ryan whitney's khl's players tribune it's freaking mind-blowing he <laughs> said the practice started and people just started skating really hard in this like set of organization he's like what do i do he's like the nhl like we don't do like wind sprints and <laughs> <laughs> and that's all they do 
He's like, just skate, 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 skate. He's like, why? What are we learning? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking skate. (laughs) He also had to live, apparently, for the year in the Sochi Olympics uh, complex, eh? What the heck, really? That's a little... He said it it was the zombie apocalypse because the grass is spray-painted green, right? It's rock rock spray-painted green because the grass is... (laughs) Nobody lives in Sochi, the area where the Olympics is. It's just going to get grown and taken over. So you walk in, and it's this immaculate Olympic village with no residents, just him. Wow. And he's like, the weirder Gosh, part is yeah. they didn't even get like the odd PED user, like at like a yeah. first five blocks. He and there's like a doctor. They gave him a room 10 buildings in. Like, there's like 50 buildings that you can live in. They gave him a room 10 buildings in in the middle, not the first building, one deep in the middle of the thing. And they gave him like four or five on a 12 floor building. He's like, You didn't even give me the top or the bottom floor. Like, I'm floor floor five, room 505. Like, why? Why? You're going to get murdered in the middle of the night. You just be like, Who's coming in? It's because that's that's the room that they have the spying equipment on so that Putin doesn't know about what what conversations are leaving the motherland. He'll walk in and be like, does a, does a room normally have seven win- seven mirrors? This doesn't seem right. Like, Okay, I think that takes us to our time, boys. Yes, it does. You want to take us out, Jake? Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching this episode. As always, make sure to go subscribe to all of us uh, so you can see, keep up with the podcast as they rotate from channel to channel every week. Uh, this video, as you can see right now, is on my channel. It will be rotating back over to Ryan uh, next week and then over to Zach for the third week after and then back to me. It's just that pattern we like to rotate. But if you want a consistent place to watch them on the go, we upload on Spotify, Apple Music, and every other major podcast distributing network. So if you follow or use any of those, make sure to go check us out there. Thank you guys so much for watching and checking out this episode of the Prairie Puck Podcast. I'm your host, Jake from Peg City Hockey. Ryan from Hawk Garbage Sports. I'm Zach from the Known Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much for watching, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure to check out the next episode and have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.